News on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 29th of August. Welcome to the start of a new week of Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the business headlines. Jerome Powell's hawkish comments Friday sent US stocks plummeting more than 3%. The Federal Reserve Chairman said at the annual symposium of central bankers gathered in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, that the Fed must keep at it until the job is done on inflation. He pledged the central bank will use our tools forcefully to attack inflation and he warned of some pain ahead. In a sign that inflation pressures might be easing a bit though, fresh data released Friday showed that the core personal consumption expenditures price index, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, came in slightly below forecasts. The core PCE index, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, increased 4.6% in July from a year ago, down from 4.8% in the year through June. The US and China have reached a landmark audit inspection deal that will allow US regulators to inspect the audit records of US-listed Chinese firms. Beijing will allow US-listed Chinese companies and their accounting firms to transfer their audit's working papers and other data from mainland China to Hong Kong. Regulators from the U.S. Public Company Accounting Oversight Board could be on the ground in Hong Kong by mid-September to begin inspections. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong of Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Sean Darby at Jefferies. With a view from mainland China is Ben Cavender of the China Market Research Group. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street's Friday, U.S. shares slumped in a broad-based sell-off following Jerome Powell's comments. Tech and consumer cyclical stocks led the declines. The Dow tumbled 1,008 points, or 3%, to 32,283 in the biggest fall since mid-May. It was off 4.2% for the week. The S&P 500 index dropped 3.4% to 4,058, erasing August's gains. All but five companies in the S&P 500 ended the day lower. The Nasdaq Composite slid 3.9% to 12,142. It was the biggest one-day decline for both indices since mid-June. The Pan-European Stock 600 index lost 1.7% Friday and 2.6% over the five trading sessions. The UK's FTSE 100 fell 1.6% over the same period. Hong Kong stocks closed higher on Friday, boosted by gains in tech stocks, following those reports that Chinese and US regulators had reached a deal that could prevent the delisting of Chinese companies in New York. The Hang Seng Index added 202 points, or 1%, to end at 20,170. And the benchmark index has surged 4.7% in two days since reports of the deal first surfaced. The tech index rose 0.8%, taking its weekly gain to 2.6%. However, the Shanghai Composite dropped a third of a percent to 3,236 for a weekly loss of 0.7%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil, that rose 1.7% to settle at $100.99 a barrel on signs that the OPEC Plus oil producers group was considering cutting production at its next meeting. 
European gas prices hit a new record high Friday, above 343 euros per megawatt hour. The European benchmark TTF soared by almost a third last week as participants in the energy markets rushed to secure supplies ahead of the winter. Copper rose 0.7% over the week. Gold was down 0.6% at $1,735 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield was unchanged at 3.03%. And the US dollar index rose 0.7% over the week to end just shy of its 2022 high. The euro was well supported after Reuters reported ECB sources saying that a 75 basis point September hike will be discussed. This morning, the euro's at 99.5 cents. The buck's at 138.16 Japanese yen. Sterling is worth $1.17 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 18 cents. And the Chinese yuan was in focus last week as the offshore yuan fell to its lowest level since September 2020. And offshore yuan is falling further this morning. It's currently at 6.92 against the dollar. And Bitcoin has fallen below $20,000 to its lowest in six weeks. It's trading at $19,600 this morning. And if we have a look at markets as they open, Nasdaq futures, they're 1.6% lower already this morning. And that's dragging down Asian equities at the open. In Australia, the SX200 is down 1.5%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 has tumbled 2.6% already. Cosby in South Korea is off 2.5% and futures markets are pointing to a fall of 270, uh, 270 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Times 8.09. Let's welcome our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have our regular Monday morning commentator, Alex Wong, director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management Company. Morning, Alex. Hi, morning, Peter. And also joining us this morning, we welcome Sean Darby, managing director and global head of strategy at Jefferies in Hong Kong. Morning, Sean. Good morning, Peter. Uh, let's start with those comments at uh, Jackson Hole. Uh, Jerome Powell uh, said the Fed must keep at it until the job is done on inflation. He warned of some pain ahead as the Fed battles to bring inflation down from a more than 40-year high of 8.5% and return it to the central bank's target of 2%. He said the Fed will use our tools forcefully and he noted restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive policy stance for some time. And he added the historical record cautions against prematurely losing policy. Alex and Sean, what were the main messages that you took away from uh, Jerome Powell's speech, which was actually very short, just just eight minutes, in fact? I think from my side, um, the equity market you know, reacted, of course, very badly. But in fact, uh, if you look at the short and long end of the US bond market, they were very pretty much unfazed. And mm. so was the dollar. So I suspect uh, positioning was already um, somewhat aligned to what uh, Mr. Jerome Powell was going to say. I think for the re reaction for equity markets is that the, the re it's probably less of a worry now in terms of an over-tightening and more so on worries about growth. And I think that's why the equity market took it so poorly, is that, um, that we're going to have a, probably a sustained period now of much, much weaker growth. And is that, in effect, what Jerome Powell was stating on Friday? Fighting inflation now is more important than supporting growth?
Yes, I do. I think um, the reality has been that, uh, of course, the Fed has got a dual mandate and it looks like they're going to sort somewhat ignore any of the deterioration that's probably ahead of us in terms of jobs and the employment market uh, for a much more, um, you know, much more uh, priority on, on, on inflation. And I suspect that's what the, why the equity market took, took the tumble. The growth and employment mm. prospects are by and largely what drives our, our, our part of the um, asset class. Equity investors recently, or certainly the markets, seem to be sort of saying that uh, we're going to start seeing rate cuts probably by the spring of next year. Did you get the impression uh, that Jerome Powell is pushing against that idea of raising rates now and then cutting them again soon next year? I think he is. I think, to be fair, that it's not... Um uh, it's not unthinkable that uh, there'll be a lot more difficult data uh, six to so six or so months out that's going to you know probably push um, the uh, Federal Reserve possibly into some easing. And you have to remember the bond market in the United States is already inverted. So it's already saying that um, you're going to over tighten and probably do mm. a policy mistake. And therefore, there is some. Um, you know, reasonable discounting that the Fed will have to reverse action. But, of course, that's not what he um, alluded to in his speech. But that's certainly part of the bond market is thinking that, uh, that, that's the late, that could be a plausible scenario. Alex, well, what did you take away from this and what's the uh, implications uh, for equity markets? I think, first of all, uh, the market actually expected uh, a peak in inflation soon. So that's why we are seeing strength in the equity markets over the last few weeks. Uh, there are signs that that's true, though, aren't there? I mean, there is. Um, we saw the PPI and the CPI data um, coming better, better than expected, and that core PCE index data as well. Yes, uh, but I think uh, the point is that uh, commodity prices are actually well ahead of the uh, inflation data. So recently, uh, we are seeing uh, renewed strength in some commodities uh, because um, right now we have uh, super dry weather in China uh, and that probably may cause us uh, uh, spike up in, in uh, agricultural products. And also um, we are seeing uh, some supports in the oil price. So I think, uh, and, and, we, and we are also entering into winter. So that... That is uh, something quite concerning because uh, probably we have uh, some renewed inflation fear. And together with uh, the comments from Powell, I think uh, the market actually is quite concerned about the uh, peak in inflation scenario. Mm. So that's why we are seeing a uh, weakness in, in the equity markets. And right now, probably we are back to the uh, first half uh, scenario. People are going back to those inflation winners like uh, oil and, mm. and agricultural products companies. So we are seeing some resilience in those sectors uh, on Friday. He was talking about um, sticking with it until basically he's got inflation back to 2%. Um, so inflation, even if it has peaked, it's well above 2%. It, it could take many, many months, maybe even uh, several years to get inflation back down to 2%, couldn't it? Yeah, we probably may see a significant slowdown in, 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 in activities in the US to, to see that because right now those, days, those data actually are quite strong. Uh, and maybe mean the employment market actually is, is, is quite good in the US right now. Mm. So do, do you think he can achieve the soft landing that uh, people are hoping? Uh, it is quite difficult because right now uh, we are seeing a uh, renewed surge in, in commodity prices and that certainly would not help the soft landing scenario. What, what do you think, Sean? Do you, do you think, um, I mean, it's a, it's a tough tightrope to walk, isn't it? But um, is he achieving it? Do you think we can get there and have a soft landing in the US? 
Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic. Um, I think the way I would look at it at the moment is that um, at least the Fed is now uh, in a tightening process. It's it's seen inflation rolling over, which is not the um, uh, case in either the UK or, or Europe. And I would say that we would probably start to think about uh, you know, employment numbers looking pretty difficult by the end of the year. So just looking at inflation alone at the moment is very easy for the Fed because the labour market's very good. But I think that story is mm. going to change somewhat. And I think uh, they will be sort of recognising the fact that towards the end of the year they may have actually over-tightened. I think it's still going to be very difficult one way or the other to get back to an inflation rate of 2% in this foreseeable future and even the forecasters are saying that at the end of next year inflation will still be around 3.6 3.7 so mm. it's still going to remain a, a occupational hazard i think for the federal reserve for a lot longer than uh, mr powell is assuming what do you both think this means for china does it limit the ability of the PBOC now to cut rates even while the economy is slowing down there or is, is this bad news for china or, or not uh, from my side, I think we're in a process at the moment of a controlled depreciation. And I think uh, the interest rate differentials, whenever we get the, the difference between 10-year China and 10-year Treasuries almost at zero, then you tend to get yuan weakness, which is mm. what's happened now, number one. And number two is China has both a deflation shock in the real estate sector and a disinflationary shock coming through in in the producer prices and CPI, and until till they really relax the COVID restrictions, I think both of those pressures are going to keep the uh, PBOC on an easing bias. Do you think they're getting worried about the speed of the of the decline in the yuan and want to try and slow that uh, down? It was trading earlier this morning, uh, 6.92, um, so down another what 300 pips from Friday. They have been, from what I can see, that they've uh, failed to recognise that the yuan would be vulnerable to the, the move in US rates. I think that they've underestimated their ability to control the yuan. I think the second thing is, again, positioning has been very crowded in the RMB. It was a very favoured carry trade when rates in the US were near zero. And, of course, when that's now unwinding as a, at a reasonably fast pace. So I think in some respects, the, 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 both, both the um, PBOC is to blame in the sense that it should have recognised that the yuan was vulnerable. And secondly, uh, the trend is still going to be for one of a softer, for softer yuan in, the, in months to come. Could capital outflow become a problem? Not necessarily. I think um, that will only transpire once they reopen. And if you have rates where they are at the moment, then that would be an issue for the yuan. But it's not one that I would say is an investable horizon at the moment. Alex, what do you think this means for, for Chinese equity markets? Because China's central bank's got a totally different agenda from the Fed, hasn't it, which is wants to curb inflation. China's got a, um, a, a problem of eroding market confidence, a weaker economy, and it just can't seem to get credit expansion going. So what does all this mean for China? 
I think uh, the Chinese equity market remains uh, uh, in a bearish um, mode, and uh, probably it would be edging lower because I think uh, the uh, impact of uh, of the slowdown in the property market actually would continue, and this will affect uh, those um, sectors like banking and insurance, and uh, the surge in the, the rebound in in tech sector probably will be short-lived because uh, the the Friday news actually was uh, absorbed by the market, and I don't think uh, we would see uh, continued strength in the tech sectors. So uh, across the board, I think a China market actually would remain weak and and actually lower, despite uh, we probably may see a uh, softer stance by the Chinese central banks. So you don't think this news about audit inspections is the spark to really get Hong Kong stocks going again? Because really, since what, since June, uh, the end of June, they've been pretty much in a funk, haven't they? Yeah, I think the best uh, move actually has already happened. So we mm. have seen already a uh, very uh, beautiful and beautiful uh, short squeeze. So the short squeeze probably end, ended on Friday. So we probably may see renewed decline because uh, the fundamentals actually are weak in, in Chinese shares. I, I'm wondering about this agreement. Um, do you think it's really going to work? I mean, the thing that worries me is when you look at the Chinese and US readouts of the deal, um, the two sides seem to have very different ideas on what was actually agreed. Uh, the US says the PCAOB has sole discretion to select the firms, audit engagements and, and, and investigate uh, potential violations. And it says without consultation nor input from Chinese authorities. But then if you read the US, uh, the Chinese side of the agreement, they say the US must obtain audit papers and other documents through the Chinese regulatory authority and conduct interviews and inquiries with the participation and assistance of the Chinese side. This doesn't sound like they're, they're both talking about the same thing to me. Um, that, that's a very fair, fair comment. I think the second thing that I would just want to add, is, and it's still very debatable, is as to where the audits are going to take place. The most logical uh, place for those to be undertaken is actually in mainland China, not necessarily in Hong Kong. So I mm. think, yes, there's a lot of grey areas in terms of this, um, in terms of this agreement. Um, but I think maybe the best thing that's come out of it is that it's shown since late March when we had the really rapid sell-down in the ADR asset class that it's pushed China to come up with some form of a solution and I still think that that's where mm. China wants to go. It doesn't want it to see itself, the companies, being closed out of the dollar markets. And you, you think that was the real spark in the end because they've resisted doing this for a long time but this threat uh, that US regulators have made of, of delisting Chinese companies from the US is a serious one or one that they're certainly taking seriously? I think once they were able to allow the um, more, how should we say, the SOE ADR listed companies, which have now agreed to delist and, uh, from China and remove those from the table of, of auditing, then I think the Chinese could sort of come to, come to and meet the Americans at halfway. Um, but I come back to my first statement. I don't believe China really wants to close its companies away from the dollar markets. They're far too important uh, for, for, for them going even into the future. So I think they had to come to some sort of agreement in order to make sure that that was still the case. Alex, do you, do you think um, it would be a big problem if Chinese companies were delisted um, from the US and that's really been the thing that's finally uh, pushed China into coming up with some sort of agreement? Yeah, I think, of course, uh, that would affect uh, a lot because um, the, the, the dollar market actually is, is uh, very important uh, still. Um, so um, there's a 
that that is a big problem uh, if if uh, China actually uh, removed the itself uh, from the dollar market. Mm. So I think that's why we are seeing some uh, progress in in both sides. Let me ask you about the property um, sector. We've had talk, Adrian Cheng, the chairman of uh, Henderson Land, calling the bottom now in the housing market uh, in China. I think he's probably the first analyst maybe to do that. Do you, do you agree? Do you both think now that the, the worst is over for the property sector? I think uh, probably may not be too bad, but I don't think uh, we would see uh, renewed strength, and that would be very difficult. Because uh, and also for property developers, shares uh, actually that was uh, more difficult because uh, the 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 cash conversion cycle actually would be would would be much longer than before. So that I think uh, that is uh, the the real fundamental weakness in in the sector. So I I think even we may see some signs of stabilization, but I don't uh, we will not see renewed strength in that market. So you wouldn't be an investor in the property st- stocks at the moment. Yeah, uh, probably we may see some 10 to 20% uh, relief uh, recovery, but uh, that probably may be the, the maximum upside we would get. And that, and, and you are not going to get that 100% sure. So yeah. that, that's, that's not worth uh, the, the risk. Sean, final word to you. Do you. Are you ready to call the bottom uh, in the property market in, uh, in China? Um, not really. <clears throat> From my point of view, it's sort of distressed debt investing at the moment and I think um, there's still a lot of there's, there's still a workout that's got to be undertaken and from my side I feel that the property story has played its role in China's economic growth over the last 30 years and it's not going to have any any set site, same level of percentage of GDP growth coming from it than, than it, you know, when we were, were close to 23% of GDP in 2019, 2018. That's, that, those days are long gone now. Okay, well, thank you both very much. Have a great week. That's Sean Darby, Managing Director and Global Head of Strategy at Jefferies Hong Kong, and Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management Company. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Coming up to 8.25, on the phone from Shanghai is Ben Cavender, Managing Director at China Market Research Group. Morning, Ben. Hello, Ben. Good. Hello, hello, Hi, Ben. Can you hear me all right? Yep, I can hear you. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Let me ask you, first of all, um, about these audit inspections, this deal that appears to have been agreed between the US and China to conduct inspections in Hong Kong. Is, is this a game changer? Well, I think it's certainly a big step in the right direction. Um, Of course, it remains to be seen whether both sides are really interpreting this deal the same way. And so, you know, what happens in practice might be a little bit different from what what maybe we hope might happen. But but I think it really points to the idea that that, uh, you know, the the Chinese government is is not going to be totally okay with the idea of all Chinese companies being delisted from, from U.S. exchanges, which is a good thing. Um, so, so I, I think it's it's definitely a push in the right direction. I mean, it seems on, on your point that they're not both talking about the same deal. The PCAOB, the the audit regu- uh, the, uh, the audit regulator, is talking about unfettered access uh, to uh, to documents, whereas the Chinese side uh, is saying it has to be done through them. Uh, there's going to be redactions as well. It's not the full unfettered access and discretion that uh, the US side is talking about. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Two very different views on how this is all going to shake out. I mean, I think the reality will probably be somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm not convinced the Chinese government is going to allow the U.S. to have 
the total access they're talking about and certainly not to have that total access in a vacuum. In other words, I would not be surprised if um, we end up in a scenario where, in point of fact, there are Chinese government officials present watching you know, some of the undertaking that happens. Um, but I think the key thing is that it looks like there is some kind of framework that's being put together for these audits to happen, for U.S. team to go to Hong Kong and actually take a look at the, the books of these companies and look at the audit behavior that's happened um, with these businesses, which is a good thing because this means that you know at least a lot of these major um, Chinese companies that have listed in the U.S. are going to be able to stay on the exchange there. Um, and I, I think everybody understands why maybe the SOEs are delisting, but this at least creates a, a good path forward. Um, Chinese stocks here in Hong Kong, they had a good bounce last week. The Hang Seng up almost 5% in just two days since the reports, and particularly uh, tech stocks like Alibaba and Baidu, which were at risk of being delisted. Do you think this now changes the outlook uh, for Chinese stocks, or is this just a temporary bounce? Yeah, I, I think we're turning a corner a little bit, and I think especially for for you know, some of the, the big Chinese tech stocks, you know, I think when you look at that sector, there, there's still some fundamental issues. We're still talking about a, a Chinese economy that um, is a little bit weak on the consumer side. But I, I think this is sort of pointing to the idea that maybe um, Chinese regulators are going to maybe back off the tech companies a little bit, that U.S. regulators are going to back off a little bit. And so maybe there's going to be a path forward for them and, and room mm-hmm. to grow. So I, I think the bounce is warranted. And I think probably we're you know cautiously heading in the right direction right now. And what do you make then of, of Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's comments on Friday, which is really he's going to stick at it uh, with fighting inflation until he gets it back down to uh, to 2%. It really means uh, China's business cycle in the U.S. are completely out of sync, aren't they? They are. They are. They're, they're definitely in, in different spots right now. And I, I think that, you know, for, for some reason, Wall Street kind of had expected Powell to, to back off a little bit. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that. I, I think the reality is we're probably going to be dealing with higher rates in the, the U.S. for a while and the, the Fed probably taking a pretty, pretty strong stance. Um, so, so to me, that's not unexpected. Um, I, I think in China, uh, we're in a situation now where they really are starting to look for growth wherever they can find it. Um, so you're, you're seeing that with some of the policy related to, to tech companies and kind of backing off. You're also seeing it now with a little bit more support for the real estate market as well and sort of thinking about more broad-based issues to kind of support the economy. We had the chairman of Henderson Land here in Hong Kong over the weekend calling now the bottom for the, pri- uh, the Chinese property sector. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think we're, we're we probably are at the bottom. I don't know if we're going to see a major bounce back anytime soon. I, I think there's still a lot of structural issues within the property market, and, and developers are going to be confronting a you know a vastly different scenario going forward as they look to raise money for projects than than they have previously. And so, I, I don't think we're going to see any kind of major uptick maybe like we've seen before. On the other hand, I I think in interviewing Chinese consumers over the last week or so, it's clear there's a lot more optimism about the property sector right now from the consumer perspective. They've gotten the message that mortgage rates are likely going to be lower, that they're going to be um, maybe you know, less requirements for down payments on, on purchase of homes. And so I think people are starting to get ready to maybe put their, their cash into play again and start buying real estate again, which is something you weren't hearing from consumers a month ago. So, so I think that that is a positive sign. 
Ben, thanks very much. Sadly, we've run out of time. That's Ben Cavender, who's Managing Director of the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Asian stocks are sliding deep into the red this morning. The ASX 200 in Australia down almost 2%. Nikkei 225 in Japan down 2.4%. The Cosby in South Korea, that's off 2.2%. And futures markets pointing to a loss of about 250 points for the Hanks. Other Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned for Back Chat after the news. Jim Gordon, Mike Rouse with you this morning. Uh, the weather forecast, cloudy with a few showers, isolated thunderstorms, very hot again. Maximum temperature about 33 degrees. That very hot weather warning is in force. 29 degrees right now, 84% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. Health officials have reported 9,708 new COVID infections, of which 213 were imported. That's a jump of more than 1,200 cases from Saturday's total. Dr. Chuang Shuk Kwan from the Center for Health Protection says the more transmissible Omicron subvariants, BA.4 and BA.5, account for about 50% of recent cases. The figure of the confirmed cases is still increasing in an increasing trend with recent more faster rate, possibly due to the increasing proportion of BA.5 variant, Omicron variant. So the numbers exist 10,000 is as expected in the coming days. Officials say 2,453 patients are being treated in hospital with 13 of them in intensive care. 10 more patients with COVID-19 have died. A survey by the Hong Kong Lutheran Social Service shows the COVID pandemic has made young people less willing to socialize. And the group expressed concern they may become more socially withdrawn. The service's Children and Youth Service Division interviewed a 1,000 secondary school students in June with an online poll. About two-thirds of the respondents said they didn't want to socialize as much because of COVID restrictions, and they'll be anxious about meeting people without their masks on in the future. Louis Chu was in charge of the survey. Wearing masks cannot feel their friends respond and it may lead to some misunderstanding of the facial expressions. They haven't a face-to-face a direct facial expression for a long time, so they don't how to resume their connection with people directly. The authorities in Pakistan are warning that the unprecedented flooding across the country is only going to get worse as waters from overflowing rivers in the north head downstream. A massive relief operation is underway to rescue stranded communities. Pakistan's government is appealing for international assistance. Chris Kay, the head of the World Food Program in Pakistan, says the extreme weather will have far-reaching consequences for the country's food supply. We had no spring, so there was no opportunity for effective germination of quite a lot of the crops. We had an incredibly hot period. The crops that were growing all of a sudden sort of shrank. We lost a a certain amount of the likely yield. And now whatever crops have been harvested, so much of that is being washed away. The brother of Juventus football star Paul Bogba has posted videos in four languages, saying he will publish revelations about the French international player that his club, fans and country should know about. Pogba, who says he's already the target of extortionists, issued a statement through his lawyer saying the videos were unfortunately no surprise. His brother Matthias said the revelations were likely to be explosive, but gave no substance to back up his assertions. You're listening to the news on RTHK. 
Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today or guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, uh, more on COVID-19. Health officials say they expect the daily infection figure to exceed 10,000 in the coming days after the recent rebound in case numbers. Among new anti-epidemic measures, uh, testing requirements will be tightened for people attending large restaurant gatherings as well as staff working at regulated premises including hair salons and sports venues. Local schools are due to start the new uh, school year this week with the Education Secretary Chris